1: this is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I am your host, coming to you live from New York City. Uh, And uh, in Washington, D.C. today, we have with us Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law Center and Evelyn Farkas of the German Marshall Fund. Hi, Rosa. Hi, Evelyn. Hi, David. Hi, David. And we have in Colorado, because they're smarter than the rest of us, both Corey Shockey and Christine Warmoth of the RAND Corporation. Um, And... um, uh, all I can say is, why didn't you guys invite us to join you? Because it's very hot and unpleasant here.
2: It's pretty hot in Colorado, but the view is darn good.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's better. It's better than the view out overlooking Joe's Pizza on Sixth <laughs> Avenue, where where I am. It's hard to imagine, um, but uh, nonetheless, here we are, and we are continuing our commemoration of having hit the two hundred episode. Uh, landmark. Last week, we did it with a guest con- conversation that we had with Lawrence O'Donnell and then one with Harry Littman. And it was great on our Thursday broadcast. Night, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. And then on Monday of this week, we had a discussion um, with these folks, uh, minus Evelyn, but with Ed Luce, who may actually join us later in this episode. You never know. Um, and that was about what has happened over the course of the two years we've been doing this Um, that has really been consequential in terms of the United States. Now what we'd like to do is look at what has happened that's really been consequential in terms of the rest of the world, uh, in terms of the big developments of the past couple of years that are likely to be seen as um, uh, having historical significance. And they can involve the United States or they might not involve the United States. And let me start with you, Rosa.
3: Oh, I'm I'm not I'm not prepared. Um, okay. But, but uh, you well,
1: said, you said you had to leave five minutes early, so I thought I should start sorry,
3: with. I should start with me. Okay, okay. Um, well, I'm going to go with a broad trend that we have seen in many parts of the world, including uh, the United States, as we discussed in our last episode. Which is the rise of sort of right- wing populist nationalism in countries around the globe, not not universal by any stretch, but definitely a trend. um if if we optimistically saw the immediate post-cold War period as a sort of good decade for for freedom and and the spread of democracy worldwide, uh, I think that the this period of time uh, is going to be recalled historically as a, as a you know a period in which we've seen a kind of worldwide uh, virulent resurgence of uh, various forms of uh, authoritarianism, fascism, uh, right wing nationalism, and whether it will end up being reversed in a few years too soon to say. But but I think that in terms of Scary and in some ways surprising uh, global trends. Uh, that is probably the one that I would I would point out. I mean, I, I'm sure others. We can talk about plenty of other sort of specific events. Um, um, but that that is a sort of a big trend is what I would highlight it. And, and and as one of the causes of that, um, sort of very much bound up with it. You know, I think I think the increase in global migration fueled by conflict and increasingly complicated and further fueled by climate change uh, is one of the drivers of that sort of resurgence of very xenophobic forms of nationalism in many countries around the globe. And that is not likely to get better anytime soon, which makes me fear that this this trend is not going to be just a a short-term one.
1: Well, I thought I was pretty sure that's the one you would go for, although I thought there was a, an outside chance you had a, you the trend that worried you the most was the spread of K pop. Um,
3: well, that well, is particularly noxious. That's number two on my list uh, and and in uh, a global crisis. And I'm hoping Corey can solve it.
1: No, no, Corey is a big K pop fan, I'm sure, um, um, and knows all the lyrics to Gangnam Style in the. Korean, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Right. Right, right, exactly. But let's stick with this uh, uh, framing that that, uh, Rosa came up with here. And uh, let me go out to um, the uh, women of Colorado at the moment. We'll start with Corey. Um, As you look at the past couple of years, isolate a big trend that you've seen that you think is significant.
0: The failure of confidence on the part of people in free societies that our values are indeed universal and dev- deserve assistance where people are willing to fight to advance them for themselves.
1: Gee, that was very succinct. <laughs>
0: Okay, you're right to sound surprised, David. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, no, no, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good one. Christine, what, give, give, give me a trend, <laughs> succinct or otherwise.
2: Yeah, I, I'm unlikely to be as succinct as Corey, but I'll try. I, I think the trend that really strikes me is the incredible consolidation of power that we see going on with China right now. You know, China really has been <laughs> Um, On the march in terms of President Xi consolidating his own power internally, he has reorganized the military to make it more responsive to the civilian Communist Party, they have undertaken the um, Belt and Road Initiative, And, and in frankly many ways, you know, they have profited from the fact that the United States has taken a step back in things like climate change China has really moved forward and is ever more positioning itself, I think, as the alternative to the United States. So that's, that's, I think, a very consequential trend I see.
1: That's very consequential. Evelyn, I, I'm guessing that what you're going to say is that the trend that's important that surprised you the most is the rise of the Hungarian model in, in governance. <laughs> and that- Yes,
4: a- well, somehow. go ahead.
1: Viktor Orban is really the kind of model for many uh, leaders around the world, and we even have had for a while uh, Sebastian Gorka in the U.S. government as the kind of on-hand uh, advocate for the Hungarian style. and And uh, is, Am I right, or, or were you going to pick a different trend?
4: I was going to actually, so I was going to mention China, um, but from a slightly different angle, though not that different. But... I think President Xi, not only the fact that he is in power, but the fact that he declared himself the leader for life, and then more importantly, I think a real, something that might have been overlooked here in the U.S., but when last year, when he gave his, or this year rather, in January, when he gave his, you know, annual speech, New Year's speech, or at least Western New Year's speech, it was a January 2nd speech, he Basically, took off the gloves when it came to Taiwan, and I think a lot of people didn't notice that. And we see we see what's happening in Hong Kong right now. Those things are very related. So the the Chinese government clamping down. Yes, the global influence with Belt and Road and the military buildup. That's all really important. But I think what's what's upsetting me and startling me and what is new is not not the global influence, you know, spreading of the Chinese influence because that's been going on for a while, but this really taking off the gloves and saying, hey, you know, China's not going to stand for any kind of democracy. There is no one China two systems anymore. Practi- in pract in in practical terms that's what she's saying. That upsets me. And I guess that kind of dovetails with what you said about the Hungarian model because again, it's the autocrats as Rosa said, you know, the autocrats, the populists who are taking control, gaining influence at the cost of, at the expense of the Democrats. So that's the that's one trend that is macro and micro and global.
1: Yeah, by the way, you know, as a, as a footnote, to those of you who haven't followed it, over the past couple of days we've seen something else in this sort of related to this, which is Chinese diplomats making amazing statements on Twitter that were incredibly undiplomatic, including the DCM in Washington making a statement to, you know, t- uh, as a way of sort of whataboutism about their uh, uh, horrible abuse of the Uyghurs, um, pointing out that DC is a very segregated city and white people don't go to where people of color live, which was kind of amazing. But the ambassador himself, actually, a couple of days ago, tweeted out something on the Taiwan issue, which was essentially Taiwan's part of China and stop talking That's about That's all
2: it. there is to it.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and which was kind of also, also amazing. Rosa, a, another Chinese-related trend, which I'd really like your comment on before we get back to super serious things, is Xi Jinping broke with Chinese tradition, not simply in uh, elevating himself to a level that we haven't seen since uh, Mao, uh, in terms of the hierarchy of the party, um, um, but typically, Chinese leaders have dyed their hair black, and he has decided. And and some people have interpreted this as a sign of his power to let himself go gray, to let the gray blend in with the darker hair. Um, and I'm just wondering where you come out on a man of a certain age coloring their hair.
3: Um, David, are you are you uh, asking for a friend?
1: yeah, I'm asking for a friend as a you know <laughs> um,
3: Grecian formula. I, I I've seen several ads for Grecian formula. I understand it's extremely effective. Um, no, David, we we here on deep state radio um, think salt and pepper is is very, very handsome.
1: Oh. Now, now, finally, somebody says something in 200 episodes that I can get behind. (laughs) I can get behind uh, that. Alternatively,
0: can I offer an alternative interpretation?
1: yeah. yeah, but let me. Let me.
0: Always excellent stylistic judgment. Go ahead, David.
1: No, no. I just want to say I've just heard Ed's voice in the
5: background, as another. We we
3: should solicit his views on this as well. I think.
5: Salt and pepper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, salt just pure salt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I feel like we are playing right into the um, John Mulvaney comedy skit. Um, uh, so, what I was going to say though was that I think um, Chinese Xi Jinping allowing his head to to his hair to gray might actually be him determining. He's ready to stop being the chairman of all seventy-nine most important uh, conferences or uh, committees in the government. Maybe he wants people to see him looking old so he can hand over absolute power to somebody
1: else. Yeah, no evidence of that. Um, but, but, but you know who knows? Um, uh, Ed, you've just joined us. We've been identifying trends of the past two years. Um, that you uh, are, are global trends that 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 may be of historical significance. Um, and uh, you haven't heard all of it, so you may repeat what somebody said. But go ahead, take a step. Um,
5: the last two years, well, you know, I, I hate to reprise what I said on an earlier podcast about American trends as opposed to global trends. Um, you know, but if you told me two years ago, um as Trumps told um, American-born citizens um, in in the last few days to go home to where I'd come from. Um, You know, I wouldn't be surprised, um, going back to Britain, that Boris Johnson um, was prime minister, about to become prime minister. I wouldn't be particularly surprised that um, some of the nastier forces on the right continue to make inroads across um, not just Western Europe, but, you know, they've just been re-elected in India, the largest democracy in the world under Narendra Modi. Um, a thumping re election there for the BJP. Duterte is still strong um, in the Philippines. I suppose the silver lining to all this is you do have new forces bubbling up. I think the Greens are advancing um, in funny, unexpected, but expected places like Germany um, and um, to some degree France, less expected places like Britain as a sort of you know, given that the Labour Party has sort of completely made itself unhygienic, new progressive forces are bubbling up. And so uh, there are there are signs there are some signs of um, there are some signs of of populism deepening and entrenching, but also of counterpopulism becoming um, becoming more inventive and more interesting. Um, That's that's that those are the trends within the developing world. I did just pick up some comments about salt and pepper and Xi Jinping. Um, you know, clearly, clearly the, the biggest event of the last two years is the the speed with which Washington has produced a consensus that China is the grand strategic challenge for the next generation. Um, and that that encompasses most Democrats as well as Republicans. Uh, Trump's way of dealing with it, um, it probably Um, doesn't command anything like consensus. He's he's mishandling it. He's making it worse. He's um, focusing on the wrong issues and um, uh, playing to all of China's worst sides and showing America's worst face. But there is a consensus that China is the principal challenge and that there's something approaching a new Cold War and the speed with which that has happened and the breadth of agreement on that basic proposition is something that has surprised me.
1: Yeah, by the way, Trump today, you know, um, the day we're recording this, which is Monday, uh, did, did make a statement uh, celebrating China's slow growth. I, I don't think he really quite really understands how the world economy works, uh, and, and um, uh, claiming credit for it, that, that it thousands of companies were leaving China because his tariffs were putting pressure on the Chinese economy um uh, but rosa i i i i you know i asked you a sort of silly question before let me talk to you about a trend that i've seen and just get your reaction to it uh, because clearly the rise of ethno nationalism the rise of authoritarianism um which everybody's touched upon in one way or another is 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 kind of a big deal but but connecting and perhaps a little bit back to the us Another trend that I've seen from the US that has global consequences, and it's the only thing that I see in Trump foreign policy that unites it beyond the self-interest of Donald Trump, is the desire to undermine the post-World War II international order, literally systematically to go after multilateralism, multilateral institutions, multilateral agreements, whether it's the Paris Accord or TPP or NATO or the JCPOA, um, or, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And there, there are many, many examples of this. And of course, as you look at world history, the period of multilateralism was a period of U.S.-led multilateralism. And if the U.S. retreats and if Trump were reelected, some people have even predicted that would be the end of NATO, You know that this will continue. It strikes me that that is um, uh, a trend to watch. I'm just wondering whether you think I'm overstating the risk of it, Rosa.
3: No, I don't think you're overstating the risk. Um, you know, I never think it's possible to overstate the risk. <laughs> um, I, I I think that it... I mean, it Trump, and you he's
1: not alone It's in- very comforting your kids when they have to go to the dentist right,
3: well, well, no, actually, i'm 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 very much <laughs> in the suck it up school of parenting. I'm always saying things like, well, we could be hit by a meteorite, but we probably won't be. So let's just go to the dentist. Um, um, yes, but when it- <laughs> but right. when it comes to this, um, I actually think there are situations in which you are better off not thinking about the risk because it's it's there's nothing you can do about it anyway. so you might as well look on the bright side. Um, there are other situations in which um, refusing to take seriously the the risk and minimizing it increase increases the risk. And I think this is one of those situations unlike unlike going to the dentist, um, which falls into the other category. Um no, i I think it is a big risk. I think that I think that Trump and many of his um, Uh, uh, spiritual brothers, um, mostly brothers, um, sort of imagine that you can go back to a late 19th century model of international relations um, with sort of no harm done and we can just unravel the last 150 years or so of international law and international institutions. Uh, I think that that would be wrong regardless but it's particularly mistaken in an era in which um, the you know the technological changes, transportation, communications, etc., have simply made it impossible for any one state to go it completely alone um, to to figure out how to weather things like climate change alone. You can't. No state can. So, it, it, I think he's 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 terribly, terribly dangerously mistaken in this fantasy of, of a universe in which nations uh, fend for themselves, not either tied down or or propped up by the web of international laws and institutions that we have created. Um, I also think that it, this terrible mistake, this, this delusion is unfortunately... Uh, shared by a growing number of world leaders, and that is very, very dangerous. I, I, I don't think it's irreversible. I, I, I do agree that uh, you know, five years from now, we could all be sort of mopping sweat from our brows and saying, you know, wow, we really, we sure, we in the world sure dodged a bullet. Thank goodness we can now undo this damage, um, but we're we're not we're not there yet.
1: Okay, so you know we've got you know 18, 20 minutes to go here. Um, and so we'll try to, and, and there's, a, you know, we have slightly more people than we normally do. So we'll try to keep it, um, uh, fairly crisp as we go around and ask a couple more questions, but picking up on the theme of the way Rosa raises her children, Corey, um, uh, what is the one risk <laughs> factor that you think has grown the most and should frighten Rosa's children the most in the next, in the past couple of years? Uh <laughs> you don't have to be specific ex- to you don't have to be specific to her children. You could just, you know, I mean, there's so many areas <laughs> to choose from, from global warming to Iran to the collapse yes. of the national system. Um, uh, and your favorite, which is the War fact- in the South China Sea. So where 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 would you what do you what do you, what do you pick? Uh
0: the the one that I think has grown the most is insensitivity to American indebtedness, a belief that low interest rates are are now perennial and that we will never have to worry about the fact that in two years time, we will be spending as much money to service our national debt as we spend each year on defense. Yeah. Um, and that has completely fallen off the conservative radar. And I think it's, I think it is more dangerous to us than the rise of China, because I actually think we don't need to worry that much about the rise of China if we solve our domestic problems and make the American dream of every generation's children living better than their parents, uh, resonant, real again for people for whom
2: it is no longer true.
1: Christine, same question.
2: I think I'm going to have to go with our apparent inability to address climate change in any particularly effective way for this one. I just, you know, when you have an entire city in India that has no water, you know, you have a a historic flood in the Washington DC area that's, you know, more rain has fallen than it has in 50 years. And you see that happening over and over again. And yet nations, you know, even the ones who are still in the Paris climate agreement really are struggling, I think, to do something meaningfully in this area. And and that we don't have infinite time. There's a clock running. And if we don't get our act together by the time the sand runs out of the hourglass to mix a million metaphors, it's game over.
1: Well, that's a good point, you know, and it's it's very interesting, too, because there are opportunity costs to a lot of things, and when Trump pulls out of the Paris Accord, everybody's like, oh, my God, we need to be in the Paris Accord. But if we were still in the Paris Accord, we'd be talking about how weak the Paris Accord was um, and how it left too much to the discretion of governments, which has led to some of these outcomes. Evelyn.
4: Sorry, it took me a minute to unmute. So the question the question is like, what's the most dangerous thing we should be worried about?
1: Yeah, risk factor that has grown in the past couple of years that ought to be front burner.
4: Yeah, I mean, I agree with Christine. There's nothing that's more dangerous to all of humanity at the moment and, and increasing by the second than climate change. I mean, that's number one. But I would say after that is really just the failure to appreciate the value of democracy in democracies, <laughs> um, with the exception of the ones that are under direct threat. You know, turn open your newspaper and read about Hong Kong. So I think the just the erosion of appreciation for and understanding of what we get by having a free political democratic society, as well as a truly free market.
5: Okay, Ed. Um, I mean, it's just a sort of. Issue that underlies all of my concern about all of these, I mean, starting with climate change, but extending to, you know, great power rivalry, threats to democratic liberalism, and so forth. It's something that sort of links all this up that I've felt more and more strongly in the last couple of years. It's the sort of tachistocracy element of our age, is that there are a lot of bad people in public life. Um, and they get returns, high returns to being bad. They get bigger shows, bigger contracts, more more Twitter followers, more rewards, um, and more um, uh, more riches and power from being cartoonishly bad and and um, intolerant of any other opinion. And it's it's something, it's something to do with technology. It's something to do with changes in society. It's something to do with cynicism. It's something to do with, um, lots of things. It's very hard to put a metric, um, on it. And it's very hard to, um, therefore know, you know, how to chart out a simple course of defeating it. But it's something that underlies all of this because whilst we have, um, um, high rewards to, um, really bad, unprincipled characters, and it's not just on the far right and on the right. Um, But you know, they've got a a pretty good stranglehold, but it's not just the right, Um, it's parts of the left, too. Um, Then I think we're going to have a a vicious cycle where the bad drives out the good, we've got a sort of Gresham's law of public life going on. Um, And as I say, this underlines everything, because to address climate change to address um, um, the strength of our institutions to address migration and so forth. We we need we need to reward character and the strength of character in public office again. And I think it's it's becoming more and more rare. And that that's the sort of Uber concern I've got. It's it's the badness in public life.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. There are a lot of you, you touched upon something really profound there, I think, which is there are a lot of incentives built into our current set of communication system to behave badly. And there are almost no incentives to behave well because if you behave well you're not interesting Um, there's no chatter and um, uh, and you lose impact Um, you make impact by being controversial Um, we've got about 10 minutes here and i don't mean to be formulaic but this is this 200th anniversary thing and as we look forward i want to go to the same uh, each of you very briefly uh, and ask the question 200 episodes from now, two years from now, it's June, it's mid-2021. Um, uh, and uh, I'm just wondering what you see as, you know, the, 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 the biggest likely change on the global scene that's going to take place between now and June of 2021, and what you rate its consequences to be um, starting with you, Rosa, because I know you're going to slip out early
3: again, I you know, i I hesitate to predict a sort of specific um, isolatable event, But I think that you know, unless we can do something to dramatically arrest what has been happening, I guess I would pick up on something Christine said a few minutes ago, which is um, the The shift is that I think it is is likely not 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 inevitable, but but likely that China will continue to be viewed as uh, the alternative to the United States. and we are we are moving from a unipolar moment back to another bipolar moment. We're we're not in it yet, but I think by 2021 we might well be back to bipolarity with the with China being the opposite pole.
1: Um, some of us have been bipolar all along. <laughs> 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 uh, Corey? uh
0: so I think the biggest change by the summer of twenty twenty one is the United States under new presidential leadership returning to the historical norm of the last 70 years and addressing the problem of a rising China by uh, reinforcing the value of alliance relationships, by, uh, by recommitting to free trade as a good that when people play by the rules, we all become more prosperous uh, by returning to leadership that, rather than uh, enervating domestic and international tensions, actually tries to remind us of commonalities.
1: Well, that's that's beautiful. That was the low-hanging fruit, Christine, so she's already given you... That was
0: the tiara of optimism, sparkling in the sunshine. That's
1: the sparkling tiara of optimism and she's given you the Harris-Warren administration with Secretary of State Biden. So, what else?
2: Well, so I will, since Rosa has left, I will put on what I believe is her uh, crown of, what is it, thorny entropy? Thorny crown. (laughs) Yes, so alternatively, if it's the summer of 2021 and President Trump has been reelected, I think one of the most consequential things will be that at that point, our allies, particularly in Europe, but but in Asia as well, I think will be coming to the realization that the Trump administration was not just an anomaly, but this is the, you know, the concerted will of the American people, the American public wants to see the United States step back does not want to be the beacon for all of the shared values that we have stand stood for for so long. And countries in Europe and countries in Asia will be having to face the situation of, what do we do now? How, you know We can't count on the Americans. How are we going to go forward? Uh, NATO, if not formally disestablished, may just be not particularly relevant. And so for the Europeans, for example, what does it look like for them to take care of their own security in an environment where the United States really isn't going to have their back? Um, Noted. They, I I don't normally wear the thorny crown of entropy, but but since Rose is gone, I'll take her place.
1: Well, it was it's really uh, kind of you keep us on brand there. Uh, so Evelyn, there you have the rise, <laughs> the, 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 the rise of the Holy Roman Empire again. Where, where, what 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 what? What's your prediction for two years from now?
4: So I think that what we're going to see is because we're, we will not have our, our act together on climate change, we're going to see an increased militarization of the Arctic and increased passage through the northern route, um, which will mean greater tension, but I guess opportunities for cooperation, a lot will depend of course, with China, there'll be tension. A lot will depend on what kind of government we have in the Kremlin at that point. Um, probably still Vladimir Putin because he's in office till 2024. But if there's some sudden change in Russia, which you can never rule out, um, maybe there's there'll be a, a possibility for more cooperation. But certainly, there's going to be a lot of tension, a lot of uh, competition over that Arctic route.
1: Um, okay. Well, Ed... Look at the favor I've done you. We've g- gotten four predictions here, and you can have all the others. What, what, what do you, where, where do you go as we wrap up here um, this episode? Looking forward to the huge 400th episode celebration that we will be having uh, probably at the Kennedy Center and major institutions across America, by the, because by then we will be the dominant, if not the only media force
5: in America. And, and America will be welcoming its new podcast overlord. Okay. Um, and so the fourth anniversary <laughs> celebration is, of course, the first, the first thing to note. Um, all the fans will be turning up with bleeding thorns of entropy. I mean, literally, blood will be pouring. It'll be almost sort of religious fanaticism. Um,
1: as, will as, be. As yeah, really our, 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 our listenership
5: is today, by the way. Uh, indeed, indeed. It will just be even higher. And it'll have to be the main auditorium at the Kennedy Center. Um, Of course, I will very discreetly be celebrating my fourth wedding anniversary as well. Um, Then, uh, (laughs) in larger, sort of, a larger know, I I, I wish to sort of snatch the entropy um, tiara, um, uh, not tiara, the thorny crown, um, and um, put it on my unlikely head. Um, and say that I think we are underestimating the potential for conflict with China. Um, And um, the Taiwan situation is is the main flashpoint, not not North Korea. Um, And things have been moving in the wrong direction on that front in terms of Chinese reaction to Trump administration provocations in their eyes. And Trump, I think, doesn't fully understand what a, a tripwire this is. And I think there are people around Trump who do understand what a tripwire this is and want and want and want to test it, and I think you know we all naturally assume as humans that things sort of trend lines continue, but they can also suddenly turn right or left or up or down. And the China-U.S. one is the most consequential trip line that we can we can walk over. And I'm very very uh, you know I'm very concerned that what has already become normalised talk about a new cold war. Um, almost screens out the possibility of something worse than a Cold War and it, it is a very very high level game going on with a lot of a lot of um, potential accidents that could happen
1: um, amen brother yeah well amen and and um, it's interesting the the degree to which each of you has um, uh, claimed the thorny crown of entropy uh, in in Rosa's absence, uh, we've long thought about manufacturing these and, and making them available in our in our swag uh, uh, shop uh, on online. Um, and if anybody out there is listening, has a good design for the tiara of optimism and the thorny crown of entropy, please send it to us via Twitter, email, or some other means. And uh, uh, or join you know you, if you become a member, one of the unappreciated benefits of membership is we have a membership. Uh, Slack, And so members can just chat with each other all the time or chat with us all the time. Uh, And so, you know, go and send us these designs and then everybody can have a thorny crown of entropy um, uh, or a tiara of optimism. Uh, Obviously we hope for the best, but I do think there are a lot of risk factors out there and we've touched upon them today with this great um, group, which, you know, has produced exactly the kind of celebration of 200 episodes um, of deep state radio that you'd expect, which is, you know, gloomy, pessimistic, scary, uh, and likely to leave most of our listeners curled up in a fetal position under their desks, um, which is typically where they end the episodes. Um, although our readership survey does indicate people listen to the whole episode. So uh, we're glad you're still here with us. Uh, if you want to uh, become a member, since we have this 200th, Uh, episode discount available, go to the dsrnetwork.com, sign up, get all these benefits, uh, including you'll have the chance to have first-come, first-served tickets to the monthly live shows we'll be doing starting in September. From September through the 2020 election, we'll be doing a show every month at the Comedy Cellar in New York, and we'll be doing shows in Washington and other cities with your favorites from DSR um and um and they're a lot of fun so please please uh go become a member you'll you'll have the best shot at that um and uh join us again next week because we've got two episodes of deep state radio we have deep state radio live from the comedy cellar um our third pod we have unredacted um we've got uh 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 uh, washington for beautiful people and we've got a whole bunch of other stuff so Join us. Uh, we're really glad that we've been able to be here for two years and grown and grown and grown. Go tell your friends. Uh, there will never be a better year of Deep State Radio than the year to come uh, as we head into um, another election. And uh, we, we hope you and all your friends will be with us. Thank you to uh, Rosa who has gone. Thank you to Evelyn. Thank you to Corey. Thank you to Christine. Thank you to Ed. Uh, Thank you to our producers and our team at Deep State Radio, led by Chris Cotnoir, for getting us here to this 200th episode. Um, And thanks to all of you. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright.